Yo, what's going on, everybody? I'm sitting here with my good friend, Rel Smith. Uh, and we made a movie. We made a movie. We did. It's it's amazing to be able to get to this point where we're actually being able to sit down and talk about it. Yeah. Um, I don't know. First, first, Ruel, why don't you just tell the people about yourself? Gotcha. All right. Well, thanks for having me, bro. Um, man, we did make a movie. Um, so, yeah, uh, Ruel Smith. I am an animator, visual effects supervisor, and indie filmmaker. And I've been in animation space for the past 15 years. Um, at the beginning of the pandemic, I pivoted to being a visual effects supervisor for commercials and head of VFX, all while moonlighting as a, as a filmmaker. Um, and then during the pandemic, we got a crazy idea of making a sci-fi short out in the desert. That's how we kind of connected. Um, and that's where we are now. Well, I mean, it, it's interesting being black and like working in the industry. Because I think one of the reasons that we connected was because we were like, oh, there doesn't seem to be a lot of... Yeah. But there is. Um, it's just when, when you're spread across the industry, especially visual effects, yeah. there's there's so many little studios. I mean, of course, you have the big studios like ILM, Weta, Digital Domain, yeah. and all the main... Like, when you're looking at visual effects, those are the main ones that you think of. Yeah. But there's so many small boutique visual effects companies. There's previs and there's postvis, which I worked in for yeah, a yeah. few years. Um, and I think that's how we con- we kind of connected on the fact that we both worked in visual effects, previs and postvis. I was an animator in previs and postvis mm-hmm. at different points in my career. So yeah, it was like, a, oh, okay, wow, you're in you're in postvis as well. Yeah, and and but then it's like there was always that aspiring to be more. Yeah. Um, it's aspiring, right? I don't know. Inspiring or aspiring? Both I was aspi- both. I mean, a little bit of both. We're inspiring <laughs> to aspire to be a little bit more than that. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, aspiring for sure. So how long have you wanted to be a filmmaker? Man, that's a, I feel like the gene, um, had already, had always been there. The thread mm-hmm. had always been there. Um, I was a kid that saw Lion King, the movie, the first one, the original, mm-hmm. the one that matters, the only one yes. that matters. Um, but I saw Lion King as a kid and said, I want to do that for a living. And so it started with, you know, wanting to be an animator, pursuing animation um, in high school, college, then moving out to L.A. like most people mm-hmm. doing the trek to L.A. Um, and then working as an animator. But then I think throughout that process, um, I at some point I was like, oh, I want to kind of tell my own story, right? And you get into the industry. I went to both art high school and art college. And then, um, so you kind of were always creative and making films in school. But then when you get out, you become a button clicker and you become a piece within the wheel for telling other people's stories. And so I think, you know, around 25, 27 years old, um, the, the itch came back. To be like, you know, I want to kind of start telling my own stories again. And so I kind of tinkered with that a little bit for a couple of years, made some shorts. Mm-hmm. And then the big kind of I'm ready to tell my own stories hit when I finished up on Black Panther. Yeah. I was just like, you know, um, working as an animator on that, seeing kind of Ryan Coogler go through his process within the system and still be himself and see a lot of us on screen and then 
telling our stories, I was like, oh, shit, all right, I'm ready to tell my own story. Well, I think um, I think what happened with me, I've been wanting to make movies since I was six. Mm, wow. Nice. Like, for some reason, like, it was even before I was interested in doing comedy yeah. or any, any of that stuff. And it wasn't necessarily that I was... It wasn't that I was like a cinephile as a kid. Mm. Maybe I was, maybe I wasn't, but it it wasn't necessarily. You love movies. I just loved movies. Yeah. Like I could tell you the first movie that I saw in theaters. I had this conversation yesterday. I saw The Great Mouse Detective. <laughs> the Great Mouse Detective in theaters. Nice. Uh, I can't remember exactly the second movie I saw, but I remember going to see The Great Mouse Detective, an American Tale. Okay. Um. The Land Before Time, American Tale 2, Five Goes West. Nice. And what was the, what was the last, what was the, I forget, I forget exactly what the other, other one was. But it's like, I went to, I went to the movies to see a lot of cartoons. Gotcha. Like a lot of cartoons when I was a kid. Yeah. Um, I do remember going to see The Lion King. That was really the first sold out showing of a movie I've ever seen. And also the first time that like there was a like uh, uproarious applause. Yeah. Like like the Lion King, my showing of the Lion King, I remember it got like a standing ovation. Yeah. Like at the end, that's how good the original Lion King was. Yeah. So from there, and then I guess it's also one of the reasons I got into comedy too is because I'm not really interested in like being a star. I'm not interested in being like the center of attention, which is strange when you're trying to work in the arts because you kind of invite that. Yeah. But I've all, I've always been like, I want to make people feel like this. Yeah. Like, I like the idea of like seeing people's faces when they're like shocked or like happy or scared or something like that, where you can kind of just take them on this journey. So I think that's one of the reasons that interests me in the filmmaking, because I'm like, Oh, something that I'm emotional about this story. I want to tell. You can fit to an audience and they connect to it. Yep. Right. So at the end of the day, that's ultimately what I wanted to do. But then there was this conundrum of people that looked like me. Like, did they fit in the genres that I wanted to tell? Mm, right? right. Got it. Because I remember like around the time where like Lord of the Rings came out and all that stuff. Right. You're kind of like, well, do I fit? Like, if I told this story, like, would I fit in this story? Yeah. Is there one? And it's kind of like what they're doing now, where it's like one black person is like in the middle, in like Game of Thrones. And you're like, well, this is kind of token. Yeah, you're like, this is weird. This isn't, this feels like forced, right? So there was all that, uh, there was always that conundrum of whether what I wanted to tell fit into the system that is Hollywood. Yep. Right? And I think that's something that you and I talk about all the time because that's even that's even the question that we have now because now we're looking at the studio system, quote-unquote, yep. and we're like, well, what uh, what are they greenlighting? Mm, yep. No, for sure. That's kind of the, the butting heads with the industry trying to, as an indie filmmaker, aspiring filmmaker. Yeah. So what we decided to do was we decided to say, fuck all that. Fuck it. Let's go ahead and do our own thing. Sci-fi short with VFX in it. And I think it turned out pretty good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not that I think. It turned out amazing. Like, I've shown... You know what? Uh, Let's take a break right now and show you the trailer. Central, this is Angel Prime. Enemy hunters in pursuit. 
Science division says they turn that thing on. We're all dead. I'm sick of this pointless, never-ending missions. I'm gonna need you to put that down, soldier, and that's an order. I can't. I can't. We're all going home. See? Yeah, yeah. Uh, amazing two-year labor of love. Two-year? Because I think we started working... Wait, I, I went back and looked at our correspondence. We started talking about it in... Was it 2020 or 2021? No, no, no. 2021. Oh, you and I started talking about it. Probably was 2020. It probably was 2020. 2020. Yep, you and I started talking about it. So I'll give a little bit of... So it's the, the writer and creator, story creator um, of, the, of the, the concept of Angel Prime... An Alpha War story is Chris Norpcham. And him and I were working at Digital Domain, VFX artists, and literally we're sitting at the lunch table. Um, and he's just kind of like, I'm a, um, he's very like George Lucasy, like that's his mm-hmm. space, um, sci fi in space mm-hmm. kind of stuff. And he was just like, I'm a writer, and he's a VFX artist, but he's a writer, right? And I was like, man, I'm trying to make it as a director, and I'm a VFX artist, and I'm trying to transition. And he shared me a short and then some of his work. And I was like, man, it'd be cool if we kind of teamed up because I liked his, his, his writing. Um, and then that's how it started. We are like, oh, we want to make this short. And then we started getting ready to try to make it. And then the pandemic hit. And then, you know, it kind of fizzled. And then I think what helped generated the kind of the, the motivation back was when I met you during the pandemic and then you became an ep on it and and yeah helped us you know fund it yeah so in 2020 in 2020 i started my production company dangerously awkward i've i've mentioned it multiple times on this podcast and i mean it's ambitious to start your own business but basically i wanted to be i was kind of in that george lucas space too but from the business side Mm -hmm. because there's not a lot of uh companies ran by us that can start from script the screen yep and have like visual effects like tyler perry's amazing but he doesn't do space movies so i mean it's like he's he's doing great but it's like the next level is all right here's the ambitious idea that we have can we get it to the screen within our own within our own means right? right and what i loved about this short is that it proves that it proves that we had a script, then we shot it, and then we produced the visual effects. Yeah. And at a high level too, right? Like it's it 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 shown that, you know, we can tell stories, sci fi, um, that isn't necessarily just, you know, black identity struggle stories. It be sci fi, it be universal stories as well, but you still have diversity across it and and even in unique places. Yeah. yeah, like having diversity in places you wouldn't see, like our colorist, um, Elliot, is 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 black, right? Um, our DIT, some of the visual effects artists on it were black and brown, um, and you don't really see that, right? Um, our produ- our EP. I mean, <laughs> we're the funder. We're we're a bunch of talented motherfuckers. Like we're a bunch of talented. Look, the people that worked on this film, like it wasn't. 
it wasn't an amateur it wasn't an amateur undertaking whatsoever the the people that did the visual effects are all like they do visual effects for a living across the board most of us i think almost all of us were working on marvel projects yeah allegedly we got it Oh, allegedly, yeah. I mean, they're all out. They're all released. Yeah, yeah, true. You can watch them on Disney Plus at this point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean... Thank you, pandemic. Well, I mean, but I think that's what we... Because we weren't necessarily complaining. We were just like, look, we want to tell... We want to tell stories. Mm -hmm. That's all that was about because when you work in visual effects or a visual effects company, you don't really get to be creative. But you get into it because you are a creative. So after you work in it for years, you're like, okay, this movie is like the last. All the movies start to look alike. Yeah. All the movies start to run together, right? And yeah. you say, this is why I feel it's missing on the screen. And this is what I feel I can bring to the table. Yeah. But also what happens in the industry, too, is when you kind of are a, a work mule, People kind of, I mean, people listen to you sometimes, but then at the same time, too, it's kind of like, hey, we need to get the job done first, right? So every year, it's always, we need to get the job done first. So then you're in the industry for 10 years, and you're like, well, I'm not getting any closer. Like, the traditional sense, I'm not getting any closer to actually telling the stories unless I take it for myself. So the pandemic was a blessing in a lot of different ways for a lot of creatives because it was actually time that people had where they could be at home and they could kind of go off and like work on their things exactly or whatever um so i think that's ultimately what happened with us i mean we got lucky my company got lucky because we got like a ppp loan for the company for the business oh nice so we were actually able to like fund different not just Angel Prime, but a bunch of different other projects that in retrospect, like, because we took 2021 off. We took 2021 off. Like 2020, we were going hard. And in 2021, as far as Dangerously Awkward is concerned, we everything went, went like the shit. So we didn't do anything. And we ended up shooting at the end of 2021. Yeah, that's right. Because we had to push it back. October. Yep, we had to push it back. And that's even a crazy story. So... <laughs> So I want to actually get into talking about the production yeah. of Angel Prime. Well, just, just kick it off. off. Just, I mean, so when, when I first read the script, it was supposed to be um, a different story. And I had just seen of the three soldiers trapped behind enemy lines, right? Mm-hmm. And it was supposed to be based in like mech, a downed mech. And I just watched 1917 mm-hmm. um, by um, um, cinematographers Roger Deakins. And I just loved how that looked. And it was out, in, it's a war film and it was out in the elements. And I was like, man, we should shoot this out in the desert. And so we've been trying, and we wanted to shoot in Trona Pinnacles, which is where we ended up shooting. And so we scouted Trona Pinnacles a bunch of times. It was hot. Um, Chris almost fainted a couple of times, <laughs> um, just being way out. And so, Trona Pinnacles in the Mojave Desert is three hours drive just to get to the part where you get into the, the desert and then another 30, 40 minutes in the middle of the desert. Mm-hmm. Um, no signal. And we were planning to try to shoot the last weekend you could potentially shoot it. It was like May of 2021. Um, and it was like the last non-super hot time we could shoot it and then like a polar vortex came 
like five days before we had to go shoot and it jumped the temperature from like like 90 degrees to like 120 yeah and that's where we had to halt production and push it back to the end of the year just just for okay so just to give give you a visual of the Trojan Pinnacle I'll probably show I'll probably show like an image of the Trojan Pinnacles um just to give you an image so the Trojan Pinnacles is where they filmed Planet of the, Mark Wahlberg's Planet of the Apes with Tim yeah. Burton episodes of Star Trek and all that stuff yeah. now the plane that was in War of the Steven Spielberg's War of the Worlds the crashed airplane. Yeah. Where we shot is past where they got that plane from. It's called the airplane graveyard. So there's the uh, there's the Edwards Air Force Base that's out there. Yeah. And then next to that is that is a place called the airplane graveyard where they have decommissioned big passenger airplanes. Yeah. So when Steven Spielberg did War of the Worlds, they went out there and they grabbed the plane oh, and okay. they chopped it up and then they brought it back to L.A. on oh, trucks. Oh, wow. Got it. Yeah, yeah, so they brought it all on trucks and stuff. So they got a plane. I think it. I think they bought the plane for like it was like like thirty thousand dollars or like something like that. But it took them like two hundred thousand dollars to like get it back to to L.A. That's crazy. So anyway, there's a lot of movie history out there. So further than that is where we filmed, <laughs> <laughs> and and the town is like a western town. Like the town has like two gas state, like a gas station, a couple hotels. Um, but Trona Pinnacles is like a national park yeah. where it's desert, but it has like a bunch of dunes and stuff in it. Right. Really alien like spires that come out of the ground. Rock formation. Yeah. Come out of the ground. So the first time we went, I went on the, the, um, I went on the first trek, right? Or the second? I think it was the second one. Second scout. I went on the second scout and I mean, it was cool. It wasn't. That was the day where it wasn't hot. It was kind of windy. Yeah. I mean, oh, it, oh yes. It was it was eight it was eighty something degrees. It was ninety degrees maybe, but it was kind of windy, so you really didn't feel yeah. the pressure, right? But then again, going out with Chris and this is and this is where where you have to be the captain of your ship mm-hmm. and, and and you have to be aware of like how people react because if you think about yourself, you're kinda of like, Okay, well I'm fine, right? But then, like going out with Chris, and Chris is kind of Chris was kind of like, "Yeah, I'm getting tired." Yeah. But it wasn't just I'm getting tired. It's it's hot. It, like it's hot. this is the element. The desert is like sucking the the, the, the water out of you. That, that's right. So it's like these are the elements that are coming down on you. Yeah. So you have to be hyper aware of not only the shoot, but how yeah, everyone is being us. affected by the elements that you're shooting in. Yeah, and we were so you know we 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 did. We had our hotels in a town called Ridgecrest, which is on the outskirts of Toronto Pinnacles. And then we drove, we had RV campers that we, you know, each morning we shot, we drove um, 30 minutes to the dirt road that mm-hmm. takes us. And then another 30 minutes into where the main, like, Toronto Pinnacles um, base camp. And then we had satellite to shoot at different parts in it. So you have the main cluster that you enter into Toronto Pinnacles. Of spires and then you had other farther clusters right and so yeah we we when we scouted we scouted every cluster mm. to find the right areas to do it um and then we narrowed it down over two to three location scouts and so yeah we when we went we were expecting it the wind was crazy um and we went back in october no wind so if you know like in the in the film we probably 
probably don't see it as much, but we have goggles and we have uh, like pandemic masks that we got to look like sci-fi-ish. Those were mainly, those were written in after we tech scouted because the dust and wind um, was so prevalent. We were like, we need to make it feel like Chronicles of Riddick. Yeah. Right? And then we ended up not needing the mask anymore because when we ended up shooting in October, it was good. Yeah, that's right. That's right. There were supposed to be masks a part of the costume. Yeah. But, but uh, that was just to cover up because we didn't have to want to have to ADR later. And the dust would have like yeah destroyed the, the, the actors. So, okay. So we were supposed to shoot in May and June. May or June. Mm-hmm. Right? And the reason we didn't shoot was because... We had a heat wave. Heat, heat wave. So it was like 120 degrees. And what was the concern about being so... A friend... MJ, an amazing writer in AD, who was supposed to, at the time, flying in AD, our film. And we were all prepped, ready to go. And, you know, she just looked at me and just kind of said, hey, this is not a good chance. People might die. And because we were an hour away from a hospital, Mm -hmm. if someone, you know, got collapsed from dehydration or something happened... And yeah, it would have been 120 out in the desert. If you didn't have a helicopter, that person would have survived because it would have take it would have took maybe 45 minutes at the time you called for ambulance to get there, and then it would have took another 45 minutes to get to an to mm-hmm. get to a hospital. And so, yeah, five days out, um, I had to make the decision to just you know push. Which at the time you're like saying, oh, we're going to delay and you don't know if you're going to get any of the actors or whatever back. It ended up working out to being um, a blessing because we had prepped 90% of what we wanted. And then we got another two, three months to, um, to, to prep the other 10% mm-hmm. that we wanted. Plus, we were, because it was so hot in May and June and the days were longer, we were going to have to shoot. We we're going to have to do split days which is you shoot in the morning at sunrise mm-hmm. and then you shoot in the evening at sunset be- so that the, the heat, you don't get the hottest part of the day. But when we shot in October, the days are shorter. So we just shot, it just crunched our time into a regular eight hour day mm-hmm. in the middle. And the temperature was a lot less. So how many days did you shoot? We shot two days. We were up there for three days. We shot two full days. Oh. Yeah. So it was okay. So you shot in October, two days, twenty twenty one. All right, two days, twenty twenty one. So what was it like? So what was it like? What was the shoot like, basically? The shoot was nuts. So we had scouted, and there, so how it's set up. It's actually because it's a national park out in the desert. A lot of the different areas are campgrounds, mm-hmm. right? And so the first scout, we looked at everything. And then we kind of narrowed it and then we went back, um, our second scout, and then we narrowed it to like, okay, now there are like 10 different locations across the entire area. We narrowed it to like five. Mm -hmm. And then we went up the, I think we went up the Friday and we were going to shoot Saturday and Sunday. Mm -hmm. But our Friday going up, we were going to do last looks, last scouts. And then... We had picked the areas we wanted that we're like, okay, here's our option A, our two, three locations that are option A's. And then um, we had a couple B or C. So we went up to go 
check out last looks the night before, the evening before, to check out our, our official areas. We get there, they roped off our initial area. Areas where we wanted to, I think preservation, mm -hmm. like park preservation. And so our original areas went out the window and we were like, oh, fuck. So we started on that evening, found a, audible areas that we would shoot. And we realized, okay, it's taken a lot to get around to multiple spots. We need to consolidate two locations near each other so that we're not wasting time satellite, you know, changing base camps. Um, on our way out of last scouts, me, the DP, all the gear, and our AD, uh, not our AD, our, our first AC mm -hmm. um, slash cam op, um, we are exiting the park, sun is setting, we see a path, what we think is a path, what I think is a path, because I was driving, um, it was a drainage, so it was a sand drainage, and we start driving out, and we get stuck in sand. Oh, boy. And we're stuck out there for like three, four hours. We hadn't eaten, we had just driven up wow. three hours to just go check it out before we go back to the hotel. Everyone else was coming up later that night. Producer um, Emily Beach mm -hmm. bringing up a lot of the the cast and the rest of the crew in like a, a trail, like a Mad Max trail of like folks. We're fucking stuck out there, and I have footage of this. I gotta find it, um, and then I, I'll give it to you so you can post it. Okay, cool. So, so we're, we're trying, trying to figure, to figure out, out. My, my cell phone, phone doesn't, doesn't work. work. The DP Austin, Austin cell phone doesn't work. work. I think, I think um, our AC's cell phone ended up working. We're trying to call. Tow truck, which because to call he had Rangers. He yeah. had like T-Mobile or like something. He I, had like a. He had Verizon, Verizon which surprisingly <laughs> worked. Verizon doesn't work anywhere else, but in the Mojave Desert. Yeah. yeah. So we're stuck out there, and we're like, "Oh shit!" And it's a huge SUV. It's like a Yukon, and we're panicking because we haven't eaten. We're, we didn't bring a lot of water. So even though how the desert, I guess, works, it's sucking the water out of your skin and out of your body, even if it's not cold, mm -hmm. even if it's not hot. Mm -hmm. So, a lot of times, if you feel thirsty, it's too late. Wow. Because you're already dehydrated. And um, so, we didn't eat. We didn't have sun is going down. We have no signal. We don't even know where we are because there's no, like, signs. Like, you're out in the middle of wherever. And one of our guys, Shane, who is military, um, he was our second, um, second um, DP unit um, um, cam op unit and he was going to do aerial drones as well he was driving up from san diego um we met a guy that lives in trona pickles the coolest craziest guy named woody his name is just woody and he knows trona pinnacles like the back of his hand so he had come up with us on one of the scouts and i remember i was we called the the cops park rangers to come try to find us but they couldn't find us sun was going down i took our like led lights and i put it on the top of the truck and now it's like hill the hills have eyes like the sun is setting you can't see mm -hmm. past you know f 10 feet in front of you we have the blinking lights of the leds on the top of the car um and we're trying to get in contact with people we got in contact with um with shane who has a jeep and then woody and we're like i think we're north of the main base where the bathroom is for the main pinnacles but that's we didn't want to split up. I walked like a quarter mile up these hills to 
see if I can see other campers, but we didn't want to leave each other because we didn't, we didn't want to get separated. So we wanted to yeah. stay next to the car. We're sitting out there, pitch black, sun is set, and we're just like, man, I hope they find us. So we told we told Shane, we told Woody, and we're heading this way. So the path is this way, and the path is back that way, and the rest of us is just banking and just hills, like no, no, not pathways. Mm-hmm. And we're sitting in the car. We're just like, not only the film is screwed. Because we're st- the the director, the DP, all the gear is stuck out here, probably for the rest of the night. Um, we're probably not going to make it till morning because we're probably going to be dehydrated, and then it's going to get cold at super cold at night. And we hear something. We're like, "What the fuck is that? What is that noise?" Yeah, like, and literally like the end of in Endgame in Avengers, where Captain America is fighting <laughs> Thanos, and then <laughs> uh, Black Panther shows up through the portal. <laughs> And then someone else walks out through a portal. We're like looking up over the hill and we see two the headlights of a Jeep come over the mountain and it's just doing this. And we're just like, oh no, yes. And then we see another Jeep come over and it's these two Jeeps headlights coming down. And Woody is like this, like just crazy, cool white guy. He just like pulls up. You fuckers, order an Uber. <laughs> and he just shows up, and Shane shows up behind them. And they just see we're, like, sunk in the sand. And to kind of backpack the story, they were coming from different directions. Because they were like, oh, let me just drive through the park. He was coming from Toronto Pinnacles. Shane was coming from San Diego. They both were coming from different directions off the path then saw each other turned up and then followed each other and we just saw them coming over the hill they end up pulling us out and then we made it back and so that was the first night that was the first night that was the first night. they haven't even shot a lick of footage we haven't even we haven't even gotten to checked into the hotel everyone else is at the hotel that was the first night so we almost got lost in the, in, in the desert <laughs> Maybe dehydrated <laughs> the night before the first. Well, it seems like it was a sign of good luck. Did the shoot after that, like when you guys actually started shooting, they go smoothly? No, for the mo- that okay. was the night before. Well, then never mind. <laughs> what, what else happened? So the morning of, we're like, all right, we escaped near death, right? Um, we get back. Everyone is like, where the hell y'all been? Because <laughs> they're hanging out at the hotel. <laughs> we're like, we just got saved. Um, we get back to the hotel. We meet everybody. The next morning, we get, so we got a bunch of, um, um, I forgot, um, an RV so that the actors can kind of be in it. And then um, DIT could be in, in that. And this, so they can kind of um, get out of the desert. We need a place where there's AC. Mm-hmm. You can go hang out outside of the heat. Um, and there was a toy hauler, um, a toy hauler um, that pulled the rest of our stuff, like costumes and a bunch of the rest of the mm-hmm. gear in it that they were bringing up. Um, they went to go refuel the morning off at the gas station, came off of a, a curb. So the toy hauler is almost like a little mini, like thing that you pull behind. So it's like the mini U-Haul, like mm-hmm. kind of closet thing that's on two wheels that you pull behind uh, a RV. So it's latched. They, I guess, leaving 
um, gas station came off a curb, the thing that latched the back went into the ground, latched into the ground, mm. and they were stuck in town mm. with all the, 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 the costumes, wardrobe, and the rest of the gear. And we blew the first half of the morning. Just off the Saturday morning, because they were stuck out there, and when we got into town, into the um, into to where we shoot, where we were gonna shoot, no one was there. The morning we got in, there was a whole camp group in where we were gonna shoot. They came in that night and camped, and I'm just like, "Are you fucking kidding me?" So we had to kind of switch to find our option C's to where the film. And because we lost time for the morning of them being stuck, they had to go buy a drill, uh, um, a, a RV jack, to jack up out of the hole that it created and then bring it in. And so we had to, yeah, we lost the, the, the first, the morning. Because we were still going to try to shoot mornings and evenings for all of our principal stuff. We ended up having to shoot high noon, which ended up working out a lot better because it, it, it gave it a more dreary like western kind of high noon look mm -hmm. so because we had to now shoot <laughs> where the sun was kind of over them but yeah so we lost the morning of because the rv got stuck out and we had to as a result they came in we were going to have base camp right and there's a nice area where you come into the, the main spires and then we were going to move people just satellite out to where we were going to shoot but then we would have to like shuttle people back and forth. Well, we lost the morning, so we couldn't do that. And when the, the person with the RV came, they were afraid to now bring the RV out because they didn't want to get stuck again because it's, it's like a trail. Now it becomes this trail in. And so I had to drive the path with the, 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 the driver of the, the big U-Haul and then go back to where they are. I'm like, you got to believe you like you just got to trust me and then i like spearheaded the the group all the way in so there is this footage where i'm like i you, i get out of my car and i'm like emily you got to believe in me because they didn't want to bring all that i was like we need to bring all the stuff because we've lost time and we got to set up right where we're filming on base camp and I, there's this cavalry of me leading them, just following my trail because I had driven that so many times to getting the, the, the entire trail and truck in. And so, yeah, that was the first night and morning of our shoot. <laughs> okay. Shooting in the middle of the Mojave Desert in the elements. Okay. So how, did it get better? Yeah. Yeah. I think all of that. Once we started filming, um, our new location set up, it looked like we filmed in very different parts of the desert, which initially we wanted to, but we, we had to condense it to one area. And it actually ended up helping because we put Eric on a hill on one of the mountains and it gave it this like, he you can kind of see the distance out. And then we, we nestled the, the other two actors, Captain, and Josh down behind a rock in an open area. So it looked like it's two different areas where they shot, but we it's literally on top of the mountain and down here. And then the piece where they ran 
and then she fell to her knees. Um, we ended up shooting in our original location on the other side. Yeah, I remember scouting those locations coming up. The that was a lot of fun. All right, all right. So we got through the shoot. Yeah, we got we through got, the shoot. We got, we got two and a half days. We got we got through the shoot somehow. October twenty twenty one. All right, so principal principal photography done. Principal photography was done, right? So then we moved into twenty twenty. Okay, so we shot twenty twenty one October. We spent the rest of that year, um, October, November, and December editorial editing. So we were editing, and because I think what we we started getting the rough cut like the beginning of twenty twenty two. Yeah, no, um, we started getting rough cuts um, the end of. Like the December, in the summer, yes. Um, and then we started VFX because um, we we tried to lock edit in January before doing the visual effects. Yeah, and then we spent all of Octo- all of twenty twenty two just doing visual effects. Now, um, the main reason because it took about a year because because look we're just we're in twenty twenty three now and in June we'll get to this in a moment but in June we're just like finally releasing the film right yeah. and. I mean, to be fair, that's how most films are done anyway. It's yeah. a two to three year process just trying to get it finished. Um, so, so I mean, we're all par for the course, right? Yeah. But what's what was interesting about us is that we, we were all still working full-time jobs. We were working full-time jobs. While also trying to create an amazing short yeah. as well. So, like, what was that like, like balancing balancing the responsibilities of both yeah i mean well i mean you know they always say the cliche shit is it takes a village right and it's literally a lot of my friends a lot of our friends i've made over the years in visual effects um david sanchez um robert williams um chris norcham the writer of it um who's also an amazing vfx artist victor velasco just a bunch of parker and everyone that just came together and helped with the visual effects um it's it took a village man like it took a, and just vfx normally takes a really long time i think if it, this was done um by someone who was not in visual effects it would have probably taken a lot longer mm-hmm. um or they would have to have to have sacrificed or cut a lot off the visual effects but i think you know just us being a part of visual effects we kind of knew how the daunting task of it and even then the shit was still even more than I expected, right? Um, it took a lot longer than I was I calculated for it. I want, uh, uh, so we had like about 100 VFX shots in it. And 50% of that, 40 of the shots, um, 40, 50 of the shots were, um, we angled the captain's goggles too low on our head. And so as on a forehead, and so as a result, it picked up the entire crew behind her in camera. In all of her shots, and she, you know, Kennedy is the lead. Um, um, Captain, played by Kennedy Kennedy C. Hall, is the lead in the film. So she's her on-screen time is going to be a lot. Had I just angled it just a <laughs> little bit higher, forty shots I wouldn't have wouldn't have to have done. And then my boy um, Rob Robert um, Williams, he did his. He's a compositor um, and a CG a senior CG generalist. He did his wizardry to like comp out a lot of comp out all of those shots that had the crew in it and then throw back in the hint of the desert oh, wow. reflection 
but yeah, so it was spending a year trying to, you know, get all the visual effects done, all of 2022. So, so like, well, a lot of people don't realize, because cause a lot of times when you're just talking to people about movies, yeah. they try to, like, downplay everything, mm-hmm. you know? Oh, no one cares about visual effects. No one cares about sound. No one cares about, and it's like, oh. No, they do. You'll, you'll know <laughs> if it's not good, right? It's a thankless job. Yeah, so. No one cares about it until it's bad, until and it's then bad. they care about it. It's just like telling jokes. People are like, telling jokes are easy until you hear a bad joke. <laughs> and then you're like, this person, easy, huh? should, this person should kill himself. That's what they be saying, right? So a lot of times with the big pictures, again, we were talking about Marvel and stuff and everything. They usually, they'll shoot like a big wide shot. And you'll see microphones hanging in the frame. You'll see camera people in the frame. You'll see people standing over here. You'll see people standing over there. And then you'll have, like, Chris Evans or Chris Hemsworth, like, in the middle. And it's just this huge... They're just filming this huge wide shot, right? It has everything in it, right? So it's like we have to go in and we have to clean it up. We have to... It's not just you press the button and then the green screen goes away. No. You have to rotoscope the people. Pre-AI, yeah, you have to rotoscope every, the the actors you want. You have to do this. There's a guy over here with a fan. Yep. There's people over here that's holding the cape going like this. You got to, <laughs> like, you have to, like, rotoscope all those people out. Yeah. Because the, because every time they're, like, we'll fix it in post. Like, they'll just shoot what's happening. And yeah. then they'll be like, we'll fix it in post because they have the money and the resources, I guess, right? Yeah. Um, Which we, we, didn't have all, we didn't have the Marvel money. Yeah. So, I mean, but that's the accomplishment there, because when people, like, see the trailer, they're like, wow, this, I want to see this based on, like, it looks amazing, right? Like, you could put it up against a lot of films, and you can say, we did, you know what I mean? Like, you should be proud. Thank you. I mean, you know, I appreciate that, man, and and thank you. You should be proud as well. I mean, I, and just the entire team that worked on it, it took everybody to get it to where it is, I mean, you funded production and more, right? Um, we wouldn't have, we wouldn't have had the motivation to even get to it if you didn't come in and and just have that energy of like, we can do this grand thing. Let's let's swing for the fences. Where if people don't realize, it's like it's to like I've gone from script to screen on mm-hmm. shorts and projects before this, and it it's tough to go yeah. script to screen. And so having people like you and Chris. Um, behind us you know what i mean just like helping push that boulder everybody should be proud of it well yeah i mean i'm i I feel like an old granddad because i'm like i feel i am like a a tear i get like teary-eyed every time i i talk about this film i i really this this is just the beginning yeah that's gonna say Rel is a great storyteller a great filmmaker um so now it's time for us to celebrate. So what do we got coming up now? Yeah. What do we have coming up now? Well, tell the people. Man, so we, I feel like we're, we're blessed to kind of get the premieres we got for the film. So now our film is going to world premiere slash West Coast premiere at Indie Night um, Film Festival, which is at the Chinese Theater, June 17th, which is going to be super dope. And then... Literally five to seven days later, actually three days later, we both of us got to fly back to the East Coast um, to for the East Coast premiere. We got into the Newark International Film Festival, which is kind of like a hometown for me. I went to high school in East Orange, New Jersey, and I went to college in New York City. So I know Newark very well. And I get to kind of bring the film back 
kind of almost like a hometown return and showcase it for a lot of my high school and college friends and family. Um, and you spent a lot of time on the East Coast as well. Yeah, I lived in New York uh, for a few years. Uh, so it's almost home to me, too. Yeah. Um, but that's within a span of eight days. Yeah. Right? We, we, literally, we literally premiere the film here at Indie Night. And then jump on a plane. Three days later. And then go to, and then go to Newark, in New York. So listen, if anyone here is in the Los Angeles area, June 17th, we're having our first premiere. I guess it's the world premiere. The world premiere at Indie Night at the TCL Chinese Theater in Hollywood. In Hollywood. Everybody's going to be there. We're going to pack the house mm-hmm. um, because this is the first time the cast, a lot of the cast and the crew and friends and family and just everybody we know is going to see it, right? And I think it's, it's what's crazy is gonna, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be such a diverse. One is Juneteenth. It's weekend, Juneteenth right? weekend. Bam. Um, but it's going to be such a diverse audience. That's going to be crazy. I'm hoping, I'm hoping they're ready at Indie Night. <laughs> yeah, I hope so. so. So the cast and crew, they haven't seen it yet. Um, no. So it's only been like a, a couple of us that have yeah. like gotten our eyes. Yeah. Oh, wow. Oh, so this, so this is legit like the first time. First time and in theaters in LA. In theater. Okay, so we, okay. This is, this is a big deal. So if you're in Juneteenth. June seventeenth, TCL Chinese Theater Hollywood Indie we'll Night. Um, well, yeah, we'll put I'll put the info in the uh, description. Um, we don't have a time exactly. It's yet. two to five. Yeah, the, so the festival because they, they run multiple. It's a weekly. It's a weekly. Um, it's a weekly screening. It's a mm-hmm. weekly screening festival. They only show like four to five films each 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 week. Um, and so there's a red carpet, and yeah. then the screening is probably three to five. Yeah, okay. So the festival, so it's from 2 to 5, 3 to 5, red red carpet beforehand. 2 to 5, the information is going to be in the description. Yeah. East Coast people, we have the East Coast premiere at the Newark International Film Festival. We don't know exact. do we know what day? It's either going to screen on both the 23rd and 24th, or it's going to screen on the 23rd or the 24th. Okay. So I'm still trying to figure out. So it's either going to be the 23rd or 24th. Of June. But that information is going to be in the descriptions below as well. So within a few days, we're going to screen it twice mm-hmm. or three times on both coasts. Uh, we're going to be able to get the reaction of two different audiences. from two East Coast and West Coast. And from there, it's, it's just going to be a matter of what happens next. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think the goal is, so it's a, I mean, it's a, it's a proof of concept. Right, it's a proof of concept sci-fi mm-hmm. short, so there is a feature story to it and a franchise. Um, that the goal is the short will help bring exposure and help greenlight the feature script that um, concepts and script that Chris wrote. And so the goal is we do. I didn't want to do a traditional. I mean, everyone like applies to Sundance and all the places, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't want to do a long traditional festival run. Because the goal is to premiere it, which we kind of have, you know, um, the blessing of what we have now is we, we're premiering it on both coasts. We're premiering it at two places in a crunch in a, almost the same week. And then the goal is to get it online at like a major platform and, and a major space where a lot where the world can now watch it. Mm-hmm. So the goal is to we do the festivals um, 
and then we roll it out within the next hopefully the month after so the the public can watch it and then we we package it and then pitch it to the studios when the strike isn't happening yeah yeah we gotta get past the strike which <laughs> i will talk about in another episode <laughs> oh my god Rel, thank you so much for joining me on this episode of cultured yeah. according to keenan that's the new name of this podcast cultured according to keenan um Anything else? What do you want to tell the people? Uh, thank you, man. Thank you for having me on The Cultured. I've been watching a, a bunch of these, and they're, they're hilarious as hell. Um, I can't wait to continue working with you, bro. Like, I think I, we need more black folks in sci-fi. And it's you and I are both sci-fi nerds. We're going to make, I call them the niggas in space movie. That's that's the movies we're going to be making. Niggas in space. <laughs> it's going to be its own genre, yeah. like on IMDb, niggas in space. Yeah. I'm down. <laughs> well, make sure you follow uh, Ruel Smith on Instagram. Ruel, Real Ruel, R-E-E-L-R-U-E-L presents um, on Instagram. Also, Real Ruel, R-E-E-L-R-U-E-L on his Instagram. Follow, follow both, please. Um, you can also follow Dangerously Awkward on Instagram at Dangerously Awkward as well as follow me. Uh, at Keenan J. Floyd on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, all the good stuff. And uh, yeah, so what you're seeing right now is the future of of cinema. And niggas in space. And niggas in space. Take Take care. care.